Well, good morning, everybody. All right. All right, well, open up your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible and you need one, there's one in front of you in the pew. It's in the black Bible. We'll be on page 497, this one, if you're needing that. So if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, please take this. And if you use your phone, take this. If you use your iPad, take this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. We got to get with the times, right? All right, so Isaiah 16, let's pray before we start. Lord, once again, we thank you so much for our church and the fellowship times that we have together. And Lord, it's just a a great opportunity to come together with brothers and sisters and uh, just talk about our lives and pray for one another and learn about you and, and worship you for who you are. And we pray this morning as we open up your word that you would speak mightily to us through the prophet Isaiah that you would show us, Lord God, how we might glorify you for all that you've done in our lives, and we might share your word with others. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, Isaiah 16. But before we start, how many of you have ever, or how many can you remember, how many of you can remember teaching your children how to drive? See, Remember those fun days? I remember my mom, i rather, my mom's not here, so she can't say anything. My mom was mean. <laughs> she was, I, if you know my mom and dad, or my dad was the one that was really the one that struck the fear of God in me, but he, I would rather drive with him than my mom. And I learned in a stick shift. Did anybody learn in a stick shift? Who doesn't know what a stick shift is? <laughs> Back there. <laughs> Jessica's like, ah, what are you talking about? Anyways, learning to drive, it's important. there's a lot of rules, and the rules are there for your safety, right? I'm teaching my son Josiah right now, and, and just trying to remember, even as I teach him, all the rules that I probably don't obey as a driver. You teach your children all the safety things and all the things to look out for when you're out on the road. And it's not to prevent them from having fun, but it's to do what? To keep them safe, to keep the other people on the road safe as well, especially driving through a neighborhood, right? There's so many things. It's easier, and he admits it to me, it's easier to just drive on the freeway because you don't have to do anything but just go straight, right? As when you're in a neighborhood and you're looking for little kids running out of the driveway and onto the street and just cars on the left and on the right of you, there's a lot of distractions. But again, the point I want to make is that there's laws that the state have come up with, whether you like them or not, that are for our own protection, And I was looking them up this morning. If you, specifically for a young person, you know you, before you're 18, you have to pass some tests, you know, the written tests. Then you have to do some driving tests as well. You have to have driver's ed. And then you have to have so many hours of training behind the wheel before you can actually go and get your license. And those are the laws, again, whether you like them or not. Now, so if my son didn't like them, he could disobey them. And go out and just grab my keys and go for a ride. Well, I know he's in here listening. So this is what would happen if you do that, son. (laughs) Besides getting the anger of your mother and me on you and losing everything that you enjoy, (laughs) the state of California would also have some rules that are probably much worse, our law. First of all, the car that you're driving, that would be minor, would be bad for us, would be impounded. 
So those of you young people that are thinking of taking a ride, cars being impounded means it's getting taken away and we'll have to pay for it. It's going to get towed and we'll have to pay for it to get out. Not only that, the miner's record would be stained so that when they eventually get their driver's license and go to get a license, their insurance that they have to pay for would go up. They might face jail time as well, but probably not. They're probably going to plea bargain it down to just some community service, so you'll have to do that. There'll also be a fine between $100 to $500 on top of that. But like I said, the other bad thing is you just lose everything from your mom and dad, probably. But those are the laws. There's nothing you can do about changing those, or if you want to go about changing them, it would take an act of God, seriously, to move our government to, imp- to put in some new laws. But the point being is, you could disobey them, but there's concrete laws, and if you do disobey them, you're going to suffer the consequences. And what I'm getting at this morning is that's what we see in Isaiah and a few of you had mentioned to me more than once that Isaiah is, you know, pretty tough. He's pretty harsh. But again, he is a, a, someone that's going about telling people about the laws. And hey, these are the laws, and we have broken them. And because we have broken them, we face certain judgment. Not only the nation of Israel, but also all the other nations around them. And again, that's what Isaiah has been talking to Judah about For a little while as we've gone through these chapters, and just by way of reminder, again, chapters 13 through 23, and this is very important to know what's going on, are judgments on all the nations around Judah to encourage them, hey, don't trust in these guys because they're going to be under judgment too. You need to trust in me. And so that's the overarching theme of that is, hey, don't trust everybody else that you think is, you could trust in, but trust in me. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in these other powerful nations, but come to me. That's what, God, that's what God is meeting out during these chapters as we look at them. And so again, it is Isaiah's responsibility, like mine with my children or my son specifically in driving, to say these are the rules. And when you break them, this is what is going to happen. You cannot change the outcome unless you change your behavior first. Because once you break them, you know, you could plead your case in the court, you know, but hey, those laws are established. If you break them, this is what's going to happen. The same is true with God. So with all that said, let's look at the text this morning. It's a continuation of the nation of our judgment on the nation of Joab. And so we have a cool little map. Can we put that map up? So those of you that still think Moab is in Utah... It's not. We're not talking about that Moab. I feel like a teacher. I should get like that stick. So that green little patch up there, that's Moab. That lake there is the Dead Sea. It's a, more of a sea, a Dead Sea. And to the left of that is Judah. So that's where Moab is in relation to Judah. And so Isaiah is preaching to Judah about Moab in an effort to warn Judah not to trust Moab and also as you'll see, warning Moab in a little bit of a, in a little way. And so this morning when we read, Moab's going to try, remember last week, they're running, they're fleeing because somebody from the north is coming into Moab and they're going to attack them. So hopefully that gives you a little visual as we read this morning. So Isaiah continues on speaking against Moab and he says this, Send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land. From Selah, by way of the wilderness, to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. 
Then, like fleeing birds or scattering nestlings, the daughters of Moab will be at the fords of the Arnon. Give us advice. Make a decision. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray the fugitives. Let the outcast of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely disappeared from the land. So let's stop right there. So Isaiah is speaking as if he is Moab. So we need to understand that. Moab, and we'll we'll have some notes come up right now. Moab has finally come to the end of their rope. They are, they don't know what to do. If you remember from last week in the beginning of throughout chapter 15, Moab was scattering because judgment was coming. And here they are. Now they're actually speaking to Israel or Judah. They're telling their people, let's send the tribute lamb in verse one to the ruler of the land. So now they're running to Israel for help. So that's what they're talking about. They're ready to submit to Israel and ask them for help. Because they have nowhere else to go. And so this is Isaiah speaking about the future of Moab. And it, basically he's telling Israel this. So Israel, the point of this is like, hey Israel, do you want to trust Moab who is actually going to come ask you for help? So there's no help with them. And that's what Isaiah is showing to Judah. So it's like, send the tribute lamb to Judah. Tell them we're ready. We're ready to submit. We need your help. Please help us. And that's what's going on in verses 1 through 4. In verse 3 specifically, they say, give us advice. So it's again, Moab speaking to Judah. Give us advice. Make a decision. They're basically asking Judah, what should we do? We don't know what to do. We're in a lot of trouble and we need help. What should we do? And they're asking Judah, you know, protect us, shelter us, keep us from the oppressor and those that are coming in the land. What do we do? And so Isaiah now turns in verses 5 through 12. So again, verses 1 through 4 are a depiction, a poetic depiction of Moab being in a lot of trouble. Finally realizing they have nowhere to go, submitting to Israel because they think for some reason Israel has the answer. And obviously we're going to tell you that they do. Because in verses 5 through 12, Isaiah gives the Moabites the answer to their concern. And so let's read that now. And verses 5 through 12, and then come back and talk about it specifically. So here's the answer. So he goes from being Moab to now speaking for the Lord. He says, A throne will even be established in loving kindness, and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. So again, Isaiah is speaking to the Moabites, giving them their answer, and he's telling them what they need here is the Messiah of Judah. Look at verse 5 once again. These are messianic titles given to a coming king. Look at that, verse 5 again. A throne will even be established in loving kindness, and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice, and he will be prompt in righteousness. So he's saying salvation is coming that has been promised from a long time ago. And remember, he's speaking to Judah. Moab isn't hearing this prophecy. 
This is intended for Judah to know that Moab is going to seek you guys in the future, so there's no reason to go and ask them for help. And so he's showing them that they, Judah, need the Messiah who is promised. Again, salvation is going to come as promised. And it's only the Messiah that can save them. That's the answer for Moab, and it is also the answer for Judah. And just looking at some of those messianic titles in the text, look at those again. A judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. He will seek justice, and he will be prompt in righteousness. Basically, the Messiah who's coming is going to be very different than all the other kings that Judah has been experiencing. He's going to be just. He's going to be faithful. He's going to do the right thing. If you know the history of Israel and Judah, their kings, for the most part, have not been described like that. There's a coming king that Isaiah is talking about that is going to do that. He is going to be faithful and just and deliver righteousness promptly. So that's what the answer for Moabites in verse 5. And then he continues on. Let's look at verses 6 through 14. Isaiah says, We have heard of the pride of Moab, an excessive pride, even of his arrogance, pride and fury. His idle boasts are false. Therefore Moab will wail. Everyone of Moab will wail. You will mourn for the raisin cakes of Kir Harseth at those who are utterly stricken. We mentioned this in passing last week. This is the basis for God's judgment on Moab is their pride and their arrogance. The Lord has seen that. And Isaiah is telling Israel, hey, this is why Moab is being judged. This is why they're coming to you for help. It is God who is judging them. And we will see that in a few minutes. The Lord is the one who's humbling Moab. Let's continue on reading. In verse 8. We'll just read through verse 12 and then I'll come back and talk about these things. It says, For the fields of Heshbon have withered, the vines of Sibma as well. The lords of the nations have trampled down its choice clusters, which reached as far as Jazir and wandered to the deserts. Its tendrils spread themselves out and passed over the sea. So again, he's just describing the utter destruction in a poetic way about Moab. And he did, we saw this last week, if you were here, and he's continuing on. And now he does something that we really focused on last week, how we showed that God, even though in judgment, he still has compassion on Moab. He grieves over the judgment of Moab. Look at verse 9. This is, again, Isaiah speaking for God. Therefore I weep bitterly over Jazir for the vine of Sibma. I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elilah, for the shouting over your summer fruits and your harvest has fallen away. Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field. In the vineyards also there will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. No treader treads out wine in the presses, for I have made the shouting to cease. There God is saying, I'm crying. You see that? God says, I'm crying over the destruction that's going on. Yet in verse 10, he says, I have made the shouting cease. It is God who is meeting out the punishment on Moab, and yet he's sad over it. But because that's the law, he has to do it. Carrying on, let's look at verse 11. Therefore, and here it continues on with God's sadness over destruction. He goes, therefore my heart intones 
like a heart for Moab, and my inward feelings for Kir Harseth. So it will come about when Moab presents himself, when he works himself, wearies himself up upon his high place, and comes to the sanctuary to pray that he will not prevail. God is just telling them, hey, when Moab goes and seeks their gods, they're not going to prevail. Nothing's going to happen. Why? Because those gods aren't real. They really need to turn to the God of Judah. And that's what he's saying here. And again, he's showing Judah, Moab is going to come seek your help because everywhere that they've went, nothing has happened. Nothing has delivered them. And then let's look at the closing part of this chapter, verses 13 and 14. He says, this is the word which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. But now the Lord speaks, saying, within three years, as a hired man would count them, the glory of Moab will be degraded along with all his great population, and his remnant will be very small and impotent. So the destruction is going to come on Moab so much so that there's not going to be very many people. And again, why is God doing this? One, he's judging Moab for their pride and arrogance. Two, he's doing it so they'll come back to him. That's why he's grieving. And we spent a lot of time last week going over that. And not only that, who's he speaking to? To Judah. Isaiah is is speaking to Judah that, hey, these people that you might want to trust, don't trust them because they're going to suffer the wrath of God as well. And so, again, I want to point out the Lord is the one who is humbling Moab. Right? The Lord's seen their pride, their arrogance, and he's brought judgment on Moab, and he wants Israel to know this. But then again, I want to point this out, and we sung a song about it, that the Lord delights in mercy. I think that is an awesome song for this next point, is that the Lord is the one who cares for them. God cares even for those that he's judging. I mentioned this last week, just like us as parents, when we you know, give our, we punish our kids. We love them, and we're punishing them because we love them, and it grieves us when you do it, when we do that, and same thing with, with the Lord. And so Isaiah, again, just by way of recap, gives the Moabites the answers that they need. It's that they need the Messiah of Judah who's coming, and the Lord is the one who is humbling them. We saw that. And it's the Lord who cares for them. This is what Isaiah is saying to Judah in hopes that Judah will not go after and trust Moab, but will come and trust the Lord. So with that said, I want to focus on, on something like for the application for you and me as we see this going on. I want us to, to focus on Isaiah. What was Isaiah's part in this? Well, he was the one who was showing the Moabites, or Israel, how salvation comes about. And so I would ask you and myself, how do we help those who are in trouble, who are in need of salvation? Well, I'm going to just focus on four things this morning in the application. Number one is this. We are to be the Isaiah of our day, right? Isaiah is the one going out and telling the people that they've broken covenant with God. And because you've broken covenant, God, this is what's going to happen. But if you return to the Lord then he will forgive you. Remember, Isaiah said this, and he said, in three years, these things were going to happen. So it doesn't have to happen to every person in Moab. Judgment is coming, but each and every individual within Moab is responsible for how, for how they will respond. 
Again, like when we look at going back to how I started this, talking about my son Josiah, hey, just, it's like, hey, Josiah, these are the laws of the land. Now, if you disobey them, then this is what's going to happen to you. But if you don't, then everything's going to be good. And the same thing is for us as well. God has an established law that cannot change. Whether you believe in him or not, that's the law. You can't change it. And so we have to decide, are we going to obey it or not? And so, that, so that's what I want to focus on is our responsibility as being like Isaiah to our world around us. Because again, the Lord has told each and every one of us who's a believer this morning, uh, beforehand, what is going to happen to those who don't trust in the Lord and to those who do trust in the Lord? Has he not? Has he not told us what, has hap- what happens? It's in Scripture. So I want to just take you to one verse that we're going to focus on a little bit this morning, and that's in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, let's look at verses 13 through 27. Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. A very familiar passage to us, and I think this makes the point that we know what's going to happen to those who follow God and those who don't. So in verse 13... Jesus, speaking to the crowds, says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So right from the very beginning, the Lord tells us there's two paths. One leads to life, and the other leads to destructions. There's not many paths that, leaves to, that lead to God, contrary to our society. Right? Our, we live in a society where there is no absolute truth, where everybody has their own truth. What's true for you is true for me. Or is true, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Right? I don't have to do what you've called me to do. Obviously, we don't believe that, because God has one established truth, There's not many truths that lead to God. There's only one. So either every religion is wrong, because every religion, for the most part, claims exclusivity. Either every religion is wrong, but they can't all be right. There's one right. There's only one religion that's right, and we we believe it's ours. Not all of them can be right, because they all contradict each other. So either one of them is right, or they're all wrong, and there's no reason to even be here this morning. There is an absolute truth, and we believe that. And so Jesus says that there's one road, right? There's one path that leads to life. And he says it's narrow because it's hard to get through. Not everybody wants to go that way, right? Isn't it easier, for those of you that are believers, isn't it easier to be a non-believer than to be a believer? I think it is, right? There's no rules. There's no regulations. We do what we want, you know? We live the way that we want. We think it's the right way. And Jesus admits to his disciples, as far as, the, you know, that road is big, and there's many who are going to go that way. The one that leads to life is narrow, and there's few that choose to go that way. Let's carry on. Look at verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come, in, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, 
nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruit. So Jesus is saying there's going to be many competing voices, even within churches and even within religion, that tell you different things. And he says you need to beware. You need to be on guard. They're ravenous wolves. They're sneaking about and telling us lies. We need to be aware of that even in our contemporary culture, where many things that the culture says is good, but it is contrary to God's law. We need to ask ourselves, are we going to believe what the world says, or are we going to believe what God's word says? And many will believe what the world says. Many. You may find yourself standing all alone on current contemporary social issues. But the church has always been alone in doing that. It's nothing new. So we need to beware of false prophets even within the church perverting God's word and going along with the current culture trends. We need to beware. Verse 20, as we move along. So then you will know them by their fruits. And look at what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out many demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's that word lawless, law again. God has a law that we are to obey as his children. And when we don't obey it, when we break it and go against him and live that way, then we, set, then we will face judgment. And so I say all this to say is God has laid out for us as believers that there is a right way to live and there is a wrong way to live. And again, this is what Isaiah is saying to Israel. They've broken covenant and they need to return to the Lord. So Again, going to the application point, if you and me are supposed, to be, are supposed to be like Isaiah, which is what I'm arguing this morning, then we need to tell the people in our lives there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. God has a law that we're called to obey. Again, going back to my son, there's a right way to drive and there's a wrong way to drive. And if you break those laws, you will suffer the consequences. So... How do we help those who are in need of salvation? Well, we need to tell them first about the Messiah. We need to tell them about the Messiah. Right? If we're going to be like Isaiah, we need to tell everybody that there is a Messiah. There is a king. And since that is true, then we tell them about his first coming. Right? Most people are okay when you tell them, hey, Jesus came into this world. He died. He was buried, and he rose again. Most people that you tell that to are probably, that's cool, I believe that, right? They'll say, I believe that. I believe that Jesus came into this world. I believe he died for us. Maybe they'll uh, resurrect, I, I don't know. But they're okay with that. When you tell them, hey, you know what? If you believe those things, you're going to be saved. They're like, okay, but I don't need to go to church, right? That's the, that's the other thing that gets them. So it's one thing we tell them about who Jesus is. The harder part in, of our responsibility is tell them why they need to give their life to him. Most people are okay with saying they believe it, but why do I need to give my life to him? Why do I need him in my life? I can believe in him as a historical figure, but why do I need to submit my life to him? 
That's the harder part, right? You might even ask yourself, why do? Like if you were to tell somebody, hey, do you need Jesus in your life? And they say, why? What would you tell them? To be a good person? No, you don't have to be a good person, right? There's many good people outside of church. You don't come to church to be a good person. If you believe that, that's wrong. It's good to be a good person. I'm not saying don't be a good person. Don't hear me wrong. But that's not why we go to church. We don't give our life to Jesus to become a good person, right? So why do people need to come to the Lord? That's very important for us to understand. Why do they need a Messiah? Why do they need to believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again? Why can't they just be a good person? I don't have the answer. I'm just kidding. You're like, what? What am I doing here? No. It's, a re- it's really a long answer that I'm going to try to encapsulate, be summarized mm, in my own way. Yeah, we have time. Why not? Okay, I'm just kidding. So why do people need the Messiah? Right? If, since Jesus is real, which I'm assuming you believe in here this morning, and we're saying we need him, why do we need him? Well, first of all, God created the entire world, right? If God created the whole world, then he made the rules. First of all, that's I mean, pretty simple. If God created the world, he made the rules. He says what goes. No matter what we feel, no matter what other people may say, no matter if times change, God created the world, and God has set down a covenant and some rules. Again, this is what Isaiah is telling to Israel. God has made covenant with you guys. Those covenant rules do not change no matter where you live, no matter who you go and try to be friends with. God's rules are God's rules, and you are his people. This was Isaiah's message to Judah. And the same holds true for the rest of us. God has created the world. God has implemented covenant in this world. Therefore, we are to live the way God calls us to live, regardless of if you like it or not. Again, going back to my son, he has to drive according to the rules of the state of California, whether he likes it or not. As a matter of fact, all of us do, whether we like it or not. We can't change those rules. The speed limit is 65, wherever, if it's posted, right? It's not a suggestion, that's the speed limit, right? It's not five miles over, as some people might drive, or 10 miles over. That's the law. We have to obey it, right? So don't get mad if you get pulled over by a police officer because you were disobeying the rules. Again, God has created the rules, and we are called to live by them whether you like it or not. And since we don't live by God's rules perfectly, therefore, the Bible says that we are guilty of sin and we must be punished for it. Again, that's the rules. I didn't make the rules. I'm just like Isaiah, sharing with the congregation and this world. Those are the rules. So if God says, hey, I made you, here's my covenant with the world, You have to obey it, and if you don't obey it, you have to suffer the consequences of disobeying. Okay? Just to lay some groundwork here. So, if we don't live perfectly towards God's rules, then what happens? The Bible says that we are to suffer death. We have a death sentence. Every person 
this morning and who's ever lived has a death sentence. We are all going to die. And it's primarily because of sin entering the world. So what do we do about that? This is where it comes in why we need a Savior, because the Savior is the only one that can change that rule. He is the only one that can change it. So that brings us to our next point. We tell the people in our life why they need a Messiah is because what he's done for us. Jesus came into this world to do what? To help us be good people? No. To die for our sins because we could not live up to God's laws. He took our death sentence. Instead of us paying it, he paid for it. It was like being in a court of law and, and the sentence was laid out and the, the judge says, you have, you're doing 10 years in prison for whatever the, whatever the crime was. And then Jesus stands up and says, no, I'll take their place. I will do that for them. That's in essence what Jesus did for us in this world. We are all deserving of God's wrath, and Jesus says, no, I will pay that price for them. And those are the rules. And because of that, that's why we need Jesus in our life. Because he paid the price for us. If we don't accept the Lord, then guess who pays the price? Each and every person that refuses to believe what Jesus has done for them, they will pay the price when they stand before God. You will hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. That's what will happen. So we, being like Isaiah, one, we need to tell people about the Messiah. We need to tell them why they need the Messiah. But we also need to tell them that the Messiah loves them. And that's why he did it. Remember, as Isaiah was speaking to Judah about the destruction coming on Moab, he was talking about God's love for Moab, how he cries over them how it, it just breaks his heart and how his, his heart moans and groans for them. He said his inwards moan for them. So we need to tell them that God loves us so, God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to die for you. He loves you that much. And if you reject that, then you will suffer the consequences of your sin by yourself. So we need to tell them about the Messiah's love for them. That's our job. We tell them about the Messiah. We tell them why they need the Messiah. We tell them that Jesus loves them so much that he died for their sins. And we also know if you don't, you don't accept that, then you have to pay for the sins yourself. We have to tell them that as well. Those are not easy words to say. And we live in a society that doesn't like to hear bad things, right? You're not saying nice things to me and I don't like it. Well, unfortunately, that's the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts. So, so this morning, I want to ask us as individuals to think about those people in our lives, in our lives that don't know the Lord, who have yet to give their lives to Christ. It was God calling you to be Isaiah in their life, to stand up and tell them the truth in love about Jesus. And again, it's not an easy thing to do. I know that. But I'm sure there's somebody on your mind right now that you know, that you pray for, and that you hope they come to the Lord. Well, I want to tell us this morning, let's commit to doing that as a church. Let's commit to reaching people out there that don't know the Lord. Right? Again, we talked about, hey, we like fellowshipping here. Let's get some more people in here. Let them experience the fellowship of our church. 
Let's tell people about the Lord. And so I'm going to give you just some, a few points of application that you could do now. One, commit to praying for that person. Commit to praying for that person that you're thinking about. Two, you have prayer cards in front of you. Let the church pray for that person. I would encourage you to write that person's name down on, on a prayer card. Drop it in the box in the back. Tomorrow night we're meeting to pray, and I hope to see some names. I'll be here uh, praying for people that need to be saved. And we'll, we'll, I'm committing the uh, prayer team to the rest of this year, or until, we're, until we stop praying, to pray for that person until they come to the Lord or until the Lord comes and takes us home. I think we could commit to that. We'll pray for them every first and fourth Monday, if not more. You know, I have a few people I want to put on that card that I'm going to do that. I want us to do that this morning. Let's, let's pray for our friends, our family, our co-workers who need to know what the Lord has done for them. And then secondly, as before we close, I want to say this morning as we have a song, a couple of songs, there's going to be people up here that will want to pray for you. You know, if you want to say, you know what, I need prayer just to you know, be bolder in my witness, you know, to, to convey these truths to people, then let us pray for you. That's what we're here for, to pray for one another. Or if maybe you're sitting out and you say, you know, I'm actually maybe one that needs to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't really know, Lord. Then I would ask you to come forward and let us pray for you. And just always, every Sunday, we also want you to know that we'll just pray about anything. Just come, if you need something to pray about, just come forward. Let us pray for you. We, we don't only want to be a, a church that worships and, and studies God's word. We want to be a praying church. We want to pray for one another. So let's utilize this time. There's brothers and sisters that have dedicated themselves to, to pray for whoever comes forward. So let's do that. Let's all stand. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And even in hard texts, Lord God, like Isaiah and we can find application because it's your word. Your word is powerful. Your word has so much meaning and speaks to each and every heart throughout the ages. And I pray this morning, Lord, that each and every one of us, as we've heard your word read and proclaimed, that we would find one thing that we might apply to our lives, that we might take that challenge as well to be the Isaiah of our world, that we might declare your truths with boldness and with love and compassion. Even in your judgment, Lord God, your heart aches. For you do not delight in the death of the wicked. And Lord, we would hate to see our friends and family, co-workers and neighbors, suffer for the penalty of their sins when there's an offer of salvation to them. Help us to be that mouthpiece for you, Lord God. And I pray also that you would help those who need to give their life to you to walk forward during this time and they would let us pray for them that they, Lord God, would experience your mercy and your love and your justice that you might transform their lives for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together and it's in your name we pray, amen.